Welcome to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, the Power of Data, sponsored by EY. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jackie Taylor, the U.S. Government Public Sector Alliance Leader for EY. Jackie, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Of course, happy to be here. Today we're talking about modern health equity challenges, and I think one of the things that we've come to learn over the last three, four, five years is when it comes to health equity, there's tends to be a, a bit of a, a gap. And there are ways that the things that the government can do, both at the federal level, at the state and local level, that can really close that gap. And that's where we're going to start with. Uh, it's easy to say, let's close the gap, but how do you do that? What are some of those things? So let's maybe do a scene setter first for the audience. What are some of those gaps you're seeing? Why do they exist? And, and, and when people think about health equity, what, how do you define that? Let's start there. Right. I think from a definition standpoint, health equity talks about you know, making sure that disenfranchised or vulnerable populations have the same access as everyone else. Um, just to your point around how things have changed over the last four to five years, I mean, wow, I remember the day when we were spending time convincing people of how important it was to make data-informed decisions and to make sure that things were quantifiable. I think we're beyond that now. I think now we have uh, many of our clients saying, okay, I'm there, I'm at the well, I'm ready to drink, but the bigger challenge now is how do I get my arms around the data that I need in order to make those data-informed decisions? I think the pandemic, and we, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the pandemic because I think we're all a little tired of talking about <laughs> it, but really showed that that health equity challenge. And that's why I think state and local governments and, and federal government is really starting to say, okay, how do we, how do we close those gaps? Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that, that data and technology, no surprise, right, is kind of driving that ability to close the gap. So maybe talk a little bit of that issue about how the technology and data can be an accelerator to closing the gaps. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first point is that the definition of health equity and um, prioritizing health equity has been expanded. So in addition to looking at physical health and you know wellness as a quotient, folks are looking at public safety now as a health issue. They're looking at social justice issues um, and its mental health implications as a health issue. So I think from a broad perspective, we realize that, you know, that that diaspora of what health equity encompasses has definitely expanded. Um, the challenge is um, we are used to working in silos, you know, as human beings, as government entities and organizations, we're accustomed to having our mission, having our mandate and working towards that. And now the challenges that we're facing are requiring us to collaborate. It's requiring us, us to look outside of our four walls and tap into information, uh, processes, and people, quite frankly, that are outside of the buildings that we're used to being in. In fact, we're not even in buildings really anymore, right? We're all at home in our communities. And so as a result of needing to look outside of your normal uh, technology landscape, you know, it's a challenge. Now we've got, you know, data sharing concerns. We've got access concerns, cybersecurity issues. But at the end of the day, we're going to need to work past that in order to really get the value from the information in our fingertips. The silo piece has been a longstanding problem for any part of the when we talk technology and we talk process, especially government. Well, I do my job. You do your job. The twain shall never meet because why would they never have in the past? How, how, how do you suggest or how are you seeing maybe some examples that you could give us about how either government or industry and government or nonprofits are starting to break down those silos? I think it starts at the top from a leadership perspective. There's an adage that the, uh, the mayor, the newer mayor of Atlanta, Andre Dickens, said during his campaign, and he repeats it, he says, I lead with circles and not lines. I draw circles and not lines. 
And I think that's a really important adage for us all to kind of um, take as part of our playbook because it's going to be really important for us not to have those blinders on and to look outside uh, at the broader stakeholder. Um, I think it's going to be really, really important for us to look outside of our normal lines that we draw and look at the broader stakeholder environment. Where are there organizations that have information or are doing things in the community to impact health equity that are complementary to what we're doing? And that is really a challenge for the leadership. One of the things is culture. So very often we look at the data sharing as a technology only issue. But no, I mean, if folks are accustomed to kind of working in their silos, it's going to take really courageous and strong leadership to make that transition. I like that idea. I love the lead by circles, not lines idea that circles overlap circles. There's a idea that you were all part of the same round versus I'm at one part of the line, you're at the other. And how do we cut that? Absolutely. When you talk about let's let's maybe talk about that culture change one step further, because it's got to go start at the top. It's got to set the tone. And then there's has to be a bottom up too. I imagine you always hear kind of top down, bottom up. It can't be you know, mandated, you must change culture. And it also can't be a thousand flowers bloom to take it from the Clinton days. <laughs> For those of us who remember that, that, you know, everyone can do kind of their own thing and right. eventually we'll find each other. What's, what are you seeing from the bottom up to the people who want to make the changes? Right. There is an enormous amount of education that is taking place. A lot of the challenges to this particular culture issue with data sharing I think is rooted in uh, ignorance, and not in a bad way, just literally not knowing. There are so many new acronyms and new terms, and it's scary for a leader to say, you know, I don't want to go out there, and I'm not really familiar with, you know, robotics process automation or chat GPT or what IoT even means. You know, what is this Internet of Things? And so I think there is an enormous amount of education that first has to take place, bottoms up and tops down, so that we're using the same terminology and we're all speaking the same language. And I think that we are currently at a point, because we're kind of all trying to get our arms around it, both our large organizations like Ernst & Young and, and, and many of our, um, our peers in the industry, but also um, there's this huge democratization, right, from a technology standpoint. And so now is the opportunity for those leaders that want to be courageous, that want to move the needle in their organization and leverage data to take advantage of that, to get smarter to get their teams smarter and work together collaboratively towards that end. You brought up the tech side. Let's maybe talk in there for a second. Uh, you mentioned it's a culture change. That's a, there's a process change that has to happen. But, but now what we have today more than ever mm -hmm. is better technology. And you just brought up RPA. We've got to always talk about chat, chat GPT now. Uh, but there's also all the sensors that can come in and pull that data in. Technology also can be an accelerator to address the health equity gaps too. What, what are you seeing there? Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of interest towards leveraging technology. And this is not new. So I don't want to make it seem like this is a new you know, shift that's going on. There's a, a Western state, a state in the West that leveraged data fabrics, right, to pull data across disparate uh, sources in order to make decisions around healthcare. Um, from a public safety standpoint, there is sharing of data and, and progressive conversations around police data, with healthcare data, with um, community-based data, um, to pull those things together in order to make informed decisions to lower crime and to address public safety. 
And then, of course, from a capacity standpoint, um, we're having numerous conversations in, in different cities around hospital availability. Where are those hospitals located? Um, access to the hospitals, ambulatory care, capacity and bed capacity and what that looks like. And we need data in order to be uh, productive in those conversations. But those are happening now. That's not you know, in the future. The technology side is, is new in the sense of how we are using technology. The analytics tools are much better. The business intelligence tools are better. And the fact is how much data we're collecting. So I think sometimes you mentioned, you know, some people don't maybe, they get a little fearful of something like robotics process automation. But at the same time, there's also this thirst for, do I have to enter that spreadsheet again? Can, can I get somebody, somebody else to do that? Right. Uh, is that part of the conversations you're having where they're seeing these opportunities to apply RPA or other analytics tools? Absolutely. But, you know, it reminds me of an old Calvin Klein commercial. I'm going to date us. It says, I don't know where you begin and I end. It was like Calvin Klein obsession, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the case when it comes to data, too. You know, they don't understand. Most people, I should say, don't really understand where the lines are drawn between leveraging robotics process automation, leveraging artificial intelligence. When do you <laughs> leverage blockchain? And so I think, like I said, I think education is going to be a big piece of this. But the good thing is that if most of our leaders look at their technology landscape, they've got a myriad of vendors, um, the top name vendors that you can, you know, we can rattle off, who are already in their repertoire, who are already in their vendor you know, database. And I know as the alliance leader, these vendors are making differential investments in government-based use cases. And so there's an investment in what's gonna be meaningful to us and to government agencies. When it comes to health equity and closing those gaps, tons of data tons of technology. Where do you see a lot of states, local governments, federal governments, where are they starting? What are some of those early wins, low-hanging fruit, whatever you want to call it? Right. I think the, the low-hanging fruit is getting a handle and getting your arms around the data and the possibilities of the data within your organization. So that's data that you own, you understand you know, where, the, where the sources are being maintained, that you're able to kind of leverage to make those decisions. Once that is rationalized, then we're seeing them kind of look out because they're saying, you know, if I had, you know, X or Y, we would be able to do some predictive analytics, right? And we'll be able to take it a step further. Where very often X and Y resides with an entity outside of your control. And so I'm seeing where, um, where there's an opportunity to leverage those external data sources. There's also representing a challenge, right? For getting access to that and making sure that um, the data privacy controls are in place. We'll get to the data privacy controls, the governance side. I think there's a whole piece. The, the concern, though, is it's just too much, right? Mm -hmm. Do you hear that often? Oh, I don't know where to start. I have so much data. Is it, is it, what's the business case? What problem are you trying to solve? Is that really the first question that they have to ask themselves when you're talking about where to begin, where to start really taking bigger advantage of, that, of the data you have and then closing one gap? Or, or what gap are you, what's, what's your priority? Is prioritization. Right. I mean, I agree. The data sources can be overwhelming. And if you embark, you know, with your arms too wide, it can be overwhelming and it could result in a failed initiative. So it absolutely starts with determining what is the question that we're trying to answer? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then what are the data elements and the inputs that can help us get to that particular answer? Or at least um, two or three different, right, solutions that we could possibly um, entertain. And so I think the first step is to make sure you understand what, um, what you're trying to solve for. Second, getting a handle on the data sources and what's available and at your fingertips. And then the third piece, because it's you know usually not cleaned, right, and usually not consistent, is that rationalization process that needs to happen in order to get the analytics you need to make decisions. I was going to go there next. You knew where I was going. 
the idea of clean data, and, and you can't let the uh, good be the perfect of enemy or enemy perfect of good, to be. Yeah, yeah you, it's one of those sayings that we all mess up. When you see your government clients, or do they understand? Okay, my data, the more I use it, will actually get better. Do they understand that, or are they just trying to get that perfect, ninety-nine uh, percent perfect uh, data? Where, 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 what's the trend? Yeah, I haven't really come across. And again, this is from my experience and, and of my teams. But we haven't really come across people that are looking for perfection because it's just such it's it's yarn, you know, Correct. in many in many cases. And so I think um, there is a practical approach to, you know, what can we reasonably get to to solve for this within a reasonable time frame? I mean, obviously people have uh, tenures that they have within an organization and some of these projects can last for years if you allow it to kind of get out of control. And so I think it's important to um, prioritize, number one, right? Prioritize the, the information that you have at your fingertips and, um, and identify those, those smaller wins without trying to boil the ocean because it can be overwhelming you can get to the point of analysis paralysis, and the goal is progress, right? The goal is decision-making or new processes that are gonna help move things forward. If you find yourself mired in the data and the review and the reports, then you've lost sight of the North Star. Because the end result here is driving better decisions, helping the citizen, helping the, the, the community close those gaps. Hey, this hospital only has 100 beds, but this other hospital has 300 beds and it's only 10% full. How can we make that work better? I think that's only going to know that from the data. Advancing the mission. And, you know, we have examples of that. Now that we have different data sources, we're able to overlay census data with other health data. And we're able to look at things like uh, uh, zip codes, right, and look at where there may be food deserts where there may be transportation uh, issues. Um, it can even help inform, from a health equity standpoint, your infrastructure decisions. So there are scenarios where, you know, if you put a highway in a certain location, you can create like a segregation scenario within a certain geography. And so that's why it's important to have that, that hot, holistic view of what, where the data is, what the situation is in various geographies, and then make your decisions accordingly. And that's but also why people can feel overwhelmed because there's so much it's a lot. data. It's a lot. Jackie, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, The Power of Data, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. Government agencies face pressure to modernize programs and optimize operations. With EY, you can unleash the power of progress and move from strategy to execution. We are at the forefront of shaping how the government responds to complex challenges, providing technology-enabled solutions to help you transform at the federal, state, and local levels. Together, we are building a stronger country for the people. Learn more at ey.com govmod. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, The Power of Data, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jackie Taylor, the GPS Alliance Leader for EY. Now, Jackie, before break, we were talking a little bit about the data and the overwhelming amount of data and this idea that lots of good technology tools, but you can't let you know, perfect be the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. From a leader perspective, and, and as you talk to uh, the, the folks who run the organizations who are trying to close these health equity gaps, what are you seeing that they need help with? Where do they sometimes stumble or, or, or fall into a pothole? Right. I think the biggest challenge that um, leaders often have is trying to boil the ocean, take on too much too soon. Um, I think recognizing the leaders who recognize their strengths and their areas of opportunity usually um, are able to progress more, more readily. Um, and so what does that mean? 
That means recognizing that you are in your role because you um, understand the mission of your agency or your organization, and you've got a strategy towards that end. These individuals who have that acumen aren't necessarily technology professionals. And so that's where we're able to really complement our, client, um, our clients in the marketplace and help them get a handle on one, where their data is and how they can leverage the data to make decisions, um, making decisions and rationalizing across vendors, right? There's a huge universe of organizations now who are dabbling in each of these areas that we talked about in these emerging technologies. And so that's part one, right? Making the decision on who you're gonna partner with on this journey to impact your mission. Um, we have experience understanding our client needs and also understanding the capabilities and strengths of different vendors in the market. Everybody's got their strengths and weakness. So we very often work with clients to make that decision so that they can then say, okay, here's my landscape. Here are my partners that we're gonna go on this journey with. Now help equip me with the information that I need to make these decisions. What tends to happen in a lot of these places is folks are hired for, as you mentioned, for their expertise. They understand healthcare, they understand you know, how to overcome poverty issues or rural America, whatever it is, but they may not have that technology background and they may just look at a database and go, that database looks like a database to me. Do they have maybe that opportunity to not only educate themselves, but really educate the, uh, their, their staff on how can you use data better? What, what, what does the data tell you? Give me a sense of what you're seeing from that opportunity to really drive better decisions. Yeah, I'm glad that you highlighted that because we recognize that that was a gap in the market. And so even our team members, we have folks who were former commissioners of the Department of Health, former CIOs who actually sat in those government seats who now work for EY and are partnering hand in hand with our technology professionals. So those individuals have a really interesting vantage point, speak the language of our clients, and that's really the best uh, hybrid scenario that you can have to educate their teams because they've sat in your shoes. They've sat in the shoes of many of your team members. And so that type of interplay and education goes a really, really long way. And I think you can't lose sight of getting that connection because if you try to do it yourselves, the learning curve is steep and it could actually delay the ability to, to really make real progress. And I think when we talk about all that, they also have to keep in mind that the trust, transparency, governance side. So let's go down that path a little bit. One of the biggest important pieces when we talk data is do you trust me with your data? Am I being transparent with my data and how am I controlling your data? Start wherever you want, but, yeah. but there's, a, there's a whole non-technical piece to managing data. Absolutely, um, I talk about the C's, right? I talk about one, building confidence. And so when you have rigor around your governance and your process, you build confidence of those with whom you're gonna be working, right, from a data perspective. If they know that you have a rigorous governance pro pro uh, process, that you have uh, mitigation pr pro uh, procedures in place, that goes a long way to building confidence for those that you need to work with. I think the other C, not a hard C, but cybersecurity, right, as it relates to, to data and building that confidence. Um, just at a baseline, many of our organizations are um, really looking to progress their cybersecurity efforts and so now when you're going beyond and you're looking at emerging technologies that sometimes create openings, right, that you didn't have before, having a really rigorous approach to your cybersecurity efforts is going to build that confidence. It's also going to protect the data, right, that you're using for your decision making. And then I think that third piece, which we talked about a little bit, is culture. Don't think that this is just a technology-led effort. You know, this is a cultural change. Take your team members along and on this journey with you, make sure they understand how their roles are gonna change, how the information flow is gonna change. That cultural shift is gonna be really important as well. 
You mentioned cyber. I'll go there first because we always have to talk about cybersecurity. We've seen from the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS CISA has put out, they've really reached out to the K through 12, to the state and locals, to industry. They really are doing more to really promote this idea of cybersecurity. Do you get a sense that when you talk about these folks working on this issue of health equity, that they get why cyber is important? Or is that still, mm, that's the CIO's problem? What, what kind of reaction are you getting? You know, what's interesting is as a result of the health equity initiatives, I see the cybersecurity conversations progressing even farther because you're dealing with PII, you're dealing with HIPAA, um, and you're dealing with, uh, depending upon if you're working with youth and others, you're dealing with youth-based information. So now the stakes are even higher because the data is even more sensitive. Um, even from a public safety perspective as it relates to um, health equity and, and, and priorities. You know, you're dealing with sensitive, you know, recidivism data and things of the like. So the stakes are higher. And so now that actually has helped um, progress the argument to focus on cybersecurity. And we're seeing, unfortunately, so many state and local governments being attacked by ransomware that they really have to button up how it works and really the education as we talked about earlier, not just education of what is RPA or AI, yeah. but don't click on links, very simple, but hard to get people to kind of get their head around. Yeah, so you bring me to a really good point. Um, one is that um, the clients who are least prepared are those who are reactive. It's after a potential you know, threat, after they've had a breach, when they reach out and they try to put more rigor around it. So hopefully we can learn from the experience of others um, from a sector perspective and, and move the needle uh, to that end. Of those two Cs that I mentioned, Two of them are people-focused, are human-centered. So I know it sounds you know, very hokey to say human-centered you know, data, but it is absolutely human-centered. When you talk about culture, you're talking about people and how you've changed their minds, their hearts, and their hands, and how they're behaving, right? And when you talk about cyber, your biggest uh, protection against cybersecurity threats are your people. You gave the example, right? Someone yeah. clicking on the wrong link, letting someone in who shouldn't be in, and access. So your people are a big component of your, your data strategy. See, I thought you were going to tell me confidence was the other uh, people one, too, because <laughs> that's a process issue with governance, and people are part of governance. So that's where I was going to go next anyways. So let's talk maybe a little bit about the governance. What does governance look like when it comes to all this data? Is it a governance committee? Is it a government uh, you know, in integrated product team? What are you seeing from the state, local, federal in terms of how they're managing that data? Yeah, there is definitely a framework that um, our clients leverage, right, to, to put in place an appropriate governance model. And depending upon the number of data sources, the sources of where, you know, where that data resides, that's going to inform your governance process and how uh, multi-layered it may be. But at the end of the day, there is a base framework for, for that and making sure that the right people are accessing the right data, that individuals aren't accessing data that they really don't need to access, and, um, and that the proper controls are put in place so that you're building that trust and you're building that confidence for those data sharing agreements that inevitably you'll have to put in place. You talked about the internal trust, whether it's within your agency, within my agency and your agency, whether it's my agency, your agency, and the federal agency, or however it works. But there's also the other side of the coin, which is the trust that comes from the people. Do I want to give you my data? What are you going to do with my data? Am I going to get spam calls now? Uh, is it, what can agencies do to engender that trust with the, with the citizens? Yeah, I think about that, um, that saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So, you know, I think about something simpler, right, than the huge health equity conundrum that we're all working on. Um, garbage delivery, right, in, in local environments. I had one client where we were having conversations around informing citizens of when the garbage truck was coming, when it wasn't coming, when you needed to maybe 
keep your can or bring it back out. And so one of the ideas that came about, which is not, you know, uncommon, was leveraging cell phones for cell phone notifications. But we needed permission. They needed permission to use those cell phones because to your point, people feel that if I give you my cell phone, I'm gonna get spammed. You're gonna you're gonna overuse it or use it for reasons. And so and that is a perfect example of something that could be more easily solved by getting that permission and being able to communicate directly with your constituents, but you've got to build trust. And so maybe pilots, right? That's an opportunity to pilot something with a smaller group, a certain zip code, a certain um, building or neighborhood population, like a neighborhood or place-based strategy for piloting these technology initiatives and building that trust through progress and actually um, you know, doing things and, and doing it the right way. And sometimes those little things, we always talk about pilots, everyone loves to talk about a pilot, but it's sometimes it's just a matter of, oh, look, that wasn't so bad. I tr I have a, I'm building that trust and it takes time. And you gotta have the patience and you gotta have the resources to do it. Do the state and local governments you're working with, do the federal governments, are they looking at those pilots or are they trying to boil the ocean? I'll, I'll go one step better than uh, eating the elephant. Yeah, I think there are definitely more initiatives post uh, pandemic towards pilots because the pandemic was the worst pilot in the world. It forced us into right different scenarios, yeah. and so we don't want that to happen. And you and you can see this; it's evidenced through the number of innovation centers and hubs that are popping up in different cities and municipalities. Also, um, SIBR grants from a federal perspective that are looking to spawn and um, be a catalyst for leveraging technology to solve some of the most most difficult problems. So I think there's a lot of energy around pilots and innovation. It's just a matter of tapping into the right brain trust to make sure they're effective. The last thing that maybe we should bring up as well is the communication strategy. Whenever you're gonna look at data and really try to solve problems, it's, it's getting that customer feedback. You mentioned human-centered design, human-centered uh, feedback. Are you seeing a push to understand the problem as well? from the state and local governments, from the federal governments. Let me ask the constituents, what do they see as the problem? Because you and I could say, oh, the problem's obviously, this is what the data says, but the constituents may say, no, 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 the problem's over here. Right, and you know, the old school was a solution in search of a problem. Now we definitely have um, CX and, and customer experience, constituent experience. We know it's in the commercial space, right? We've seen it with, you know, um, the Amazon, or you can go to a furniture store now and they'll know your, your, your likes, your dislikes, and what you're looking for, and they'll make suggestions. Well, from a government perspective and your constituents, you need to have that sort of bi-directional communication, and we're having this conversation now with our clients around how do you leverage your 311 or even your physical outreach or your neighborhood strategy to make sure that you have a pulse on what the needs and asks and requests of your constituents are, and then you translate that into your strategy. So that, like I said, you're not uh, creating a, a solution that there was never a problem for in the first place. Yeah. Or the data doesn't maybe, you think it matches the data, but when you talk to people, they go, oh, that's fine. Yeah, right. we don't like anything, but that's, <laughs> that one's okay. Jackie, we got about 30 seconds yeah. or so left. Let me just, uh, what's the big takeaway from our conversation today? What do you hope folks get from our conversation that they can start to apply it to solve some of these health equity challenges? Yeah, I think to piggyback on our last point, um, two things. The first thing is don't look at the data alone. Make sure that your data analysis is colored by qualitative information um, from the voice of your constituents that you're looking to serve, who will get the value from, from the, the data-driven decisions that you're making. And I think the other one is don't boil the ocean. You know, you've got firms like EY and you know teams who do this for a living, who rationalize different options, alternatives, and emerging technologies for a living that can help you accelerate your um, your data efforts. And when it comes down to it, 
the better data you have, the better technology you have, the better decisions you can make to, to really make real change. Absolutely. Jackie, I really enjoyed our conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Jackie Taylor is the U.S. Government Public Sector Alliance Leader for EY. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed, the Power of Data, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search EY. Thank you for listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed, the Power of Data, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network.